0: Switched on
1: Pop. Welcome to Switch On Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan and I'm very excited today to welcome into our virtual studio a guitarist you may know from Volfek or as the host of the new variety show, Corey and the Wong Notes. It's Corey Wong. What's up, everybody? Corey, we're excited to have you here because we're fans. We're also hoping you can give us some insight into a subtle musical phenomena that is permeating the top 40. But with that cliffhanger, before we get there, let's get to know you a little better. You're known as a rhythm guitarist with the floppiest right hand in the game. And I think you can hear this inimitable technique on a track like the eponymous Cory Wong by Wolfpack. So we have a guest here who is uniquely positioned to uh, enlighten one of the subtler phenomena of of modern pop that undergirds songs from Doja Cat's say-so to to Bruno Mars' world-beating uptown funk the driving secret ingredient that propels a track forward and into your brain forever it's rhythm guitar
2: that's my game, dude that's where I live
1: Corey, let's, let's take it from the top what is rhythm guitar? Rhythm
2: guitar to me is the majority of the job of a guitar player, often neglected. Now, Mm. to me, like you said, rhythm guitar is something that propels a song forward when that's called for. Now, of course, the main ingredient for that is the drums and bass and percussion elements, but I think the role of the guitar can be wrapped into that role and can fill the role of like a musical bongo. Mm. Not that bongos aren't musical on their own, but pitched bongos, pitched tambourine. I think it can kind of float in its role because the attack on the instrument can be so strong, but it can also layer in pad things or, or sustaining elements. So for me, rhythm guitar is a driving, rhythmic momentum that loosely outlines the harmony and occasionally the melody of a song. In different styles of music, you'll have different things. There's different types of rhythm guitar and they sometimes right. have names associated with them. Or like, hey, mm. give me that bubble thing. Give me the bubble. That's the bubble kind of the. Thing,
1: yeah.
2: That's kind of a bubble. And then you've, you've got something that's more like the Nile Rodgers thing, which is outlining chord changes with rhythm and the chucks in there. The chuck is hmm. kind of this thing. Where you're chuck, strumming yeah. the chuck, you're hitting, but it's, it's not actually any notes. It's kind of more like a shaker than a hi-hat, but yeah. it, it has a similar sort of thing. So if you have... Uh, So it's got, it's a mix of chucks and actual chords. Yeah. But for me, a lot of what I do is I keep the motor moving in my right hand. This sort of... It doesn't mean that I'm always gonna hit every time, but that motor is Mm. always moving. And whenever I decide to hit the strings and wherever I decide to accent, wherever I decide to place notes instead of chucks, really kind of helps define the groove. And, and, and that, that's different than the time, you know? So the groove is how something feels. The time is just the pulse of it.
1: This is already fascinating because I imagine for me as for many listeners, like this is maybe something you kind of take for granted in a track, this, this element that often recedes into the background is maybe more felt than heard. And now we're kind of like, you're bringing it out into the light and we're like hearing all the nuances of it and all the thought that goes into it. Yeah. And I also already and like am, am visualizing a title for this episode that's something like Bubble Chuck and Motor, <laughs> the intricacies of like rhythm that. guitar with with Corey Wong. I feel like if I was a kid growing up right now, I would be like thrilled by the amount of funky guitar parts that you are encountering all over top forty music. Mm-hmm. It's like perhaps a, 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 the return of a golden age of like of rhythm guitar. On the radio And I was hoping With you here We could listen to A couple of The Like big Smash hits Of recent Yeah And think about What role rhythm guitar Is playing Yeah And the first Song I'd like to uh, Put under your Microscope Is a big hit That we We've yet to discuss On the show It's from Dua Lipa And it's called Levitating
0: You want me I want you baby My sugar boo Potatoes, We're yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah. Mm. yeah, that track is amazing. Dua Lipa is incredible. I would like to play for her someday. That would be fun. Mm. She, she's, she's just got a fun book, as they call it in the jazz yeah. world, you know. <laughs> it would be a fun book to play. But I mean, for that song, so rhythm guitar wise, it stands out because it's a certain texture and it adds a certain thing. Now, there's a lot of ways you could have approached it. It's cool Mm -hmm. to hear it in the track. So it's basically, if I'm hearing right. Right now, there's enough other rhythmic momentum happening. But, you know, another approach, if, you know, the the guitar part could have been. Right. And the other thing that she did is she kind of what they did is they kind of took the Nile Rodgers chord comping thing and they just took out the chucks, you know? So if they could have gone. You know, they could have added that and the guitar then would have just taken up more rhythmic density and, and rhythmic momentum in the song, but it functions fine how it is. You know, and I think there's been a journey to pave the way for where this sort of role in pop music is. I'll just start with kind of disco, Nile Rodgers chic. Yeah. Going into Earth, Wind & Fire. Ohio yeah. hey. Ohio Players. obviously prince but his thing is way different and, love, well, that's all I'm living for. Yeah. and then you have something mm. like moves like jagger or a lot of maroon five stuff like james valentine his playing like that sort of thing huh.
0: you know
1: right right
2: that's kind of playing the nile chuck thing up high now if you took that exact part out like that part if you moved it down an octave and took out the chucks you'd basically be almost at exactly what dualipa's guitar player is playing there Hmm. so to me it's all kind of part of the same lineage that that sort of guitar playing
1: that's very illuminating i'm geeking out really hard right now i like thinking about how all these choices are not made in a vacuum but are 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 based on all the other musical elements that are present in the track and what is like the perfect ingredient that will complement all those other ingredients and and bring out their flavor
2: and every artist every producer's interpretation of those things is very different you know like i've played for some artists and they've said hey give me the nile thing and I'll play the Nile thing. Exactly. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's not the Nile thing. The Nile thing is this. I'm like, oh really? Is it that? Are are you the one that studied rhythm guitar your whole life? Like inside my mind, that's what I'm thinking. But I'm not actually saying that out loud. I'm saying, oh, okay, what is it about the Niall Rogers thing that you're looking for? I think for, for any guitar player, any musician in general, when you're communicating with other people. If you are an expert in something, you have to understand that not everybody else is an expert in that, and you have to interpret how much they know about something and what it is that they're actually going for. So when I might think they're going for, they might actually want this. Which is like, okay, that's kind of it, you know
1: the first being the Nile thing, yeah, and the second being the Prince thing.
2: Kind of, but the Prince thing would actually, it's more about the voicing though. So the Prince thing would actually be Mm. more.
1: Whoa, that is the Prince thing, yeah. Holy holy cow.
2: So it goes beyond just what the rhythm is and how much subdivision it is. It's also in the voicing. It's like, what's gonna give you that? And if we take a look at the Prince thing, you mentioned Uptown (laughs) Funk. That is part of the Prince lineage. When I hear Uptown Funk, to me, that is Morris Day in the time. Ah! Well, and then it comes from some of the stuff out of Ohio, you know. Cincy and there, there is a whole scene there, but I hear a lot of and like Gat Band. Ohio scene and Minneapolis scene kind of blended together. And that's what I hear in Uptown Funk. But the guitar playing to me is much more of the Prince lineage. And the Prince lineage, Mm -hmm. I guess I would start farther back. James Brown. Sly and the Family Stone thing that kind of goes into the Prince realm and then kind of takes off in a bunch of other different realms but that's kind of to me uptown like a lot of people would lump the type of playing in uptown funk and levitating together but to me they come from different lineages of rhythm guitar So Uptown Funk yeah. is much more the Minneapolis Prince, more stay in the time. For me, I grew up in Minneapolis. It's just in my blood. You know, the Minneapolis yeah. thing is in my blood. I recognize it when I hear it. And I recognize that somebody's kind of doing the Minneapolis thing. And, sometimes, mm. and And sometimes intentionally, like, oh, I'm kind of going for the Minneapolis thing. Mm. Everything's right. The voicings are right. The subdivision's right. But the time feel is too laid back. Now, again, what's right or wrong is not necessarily... Objective, but if you're saying this is the exact minneapolis thing there's there's more to consider than voicings and subdivision, and to get the Philly thing, somebody from Minneapolis is going to have to to lean farther back.
1: Hearing this is a reminder of how closely different musical techniques are associated with geographical areas totally. and, and musical scenes, and it's really it's really fascinating to hear that kind of in real time you change a subtle shift in rhythm a subtle shift in voicing and all of a sudden you've moved you know a a thousand miles exactly (laughs) west to another to a new to a new place let's travel now to somewhere far afield to an artist that uh kind of escaped our our radar this year which is a shame because she put out a a a really wonderful album it's jesse ware and I thought we could listen to this track, "Step Into My Life," which also features guitar, but in in a used in a very different role. So mm-hmm. here's uh, here's the chorus of "Step Into My Life."
0: But the time to step into my life.
2: Cool track. So to me, that actually follows, um, that's a, a different lineage altogether. Mm. That's more like the Quincy Jones use <laughs> of rhythm guitar. Cool. Where the rhythm guitar intertwines, well, actually I would interject Niall into that because Niall did a lot like, you know, freak out. But you know that guitar part in there, that. Or whatever that is and then they go to
1: yeah right right
2: see I'm even adding a little extra to it (laughs) a little sauce yeah if theirs is just doubling so it's they're making a musical hook you know like like you listen to Stevie Wonder tunes and there's the vocal hook and then there's musical hooks very potently you know now you could take that and go more thriller on it hmm. and like dave williams rhythm guitar I beat mm-hmm. it, which to me also it comes from the you know the lineage of like apart from billy jean Apart from Thriller. You know, there's all these different, it's kind of a bubble Mm. part, but the bubble functions as a musical hook. You know, so that track to me is great use of rhythm guitar as a melodic hook. Mm. You know, so there's obviously vocal on there, but the rhythm is kind of taking a lead role because it's, it's doubling that part as a hook
1: right I I see that you hear that on a lot of Quincy tracks that he produced for Michael Jackson and now I think we need to address head on a name that has already been thrown out a number of times Niall Rogers Mm -hmm. who you know perhaps was the person who reinvigorated an interest in this sound on the top 40 with Daft Punk and Pharrell Williams in 2013 with a track like Get Lucky And I wonder if you could speak to what makes Nile Rodgers sound so iconic and, and still so relevant today. You know, now, like, I don't know, almost 50 years since he first burst onto the scene with, with Sheik in, in, the, in the early 70s. Like, what, what is it about this player that we keep coming back to? It, it stretches beyond just him as a guitar
2: player. I think it's his just understanding of music in general and understanding interesting roles that the guitar can play within different types of music. And you got to also understand with Nile Rodgers, part of what helps it sound iconic is that he used it a lot in so many iconic songs, not just Chic, from him producing David Bowie, Madonna, you know, all these insane iconic albums and insanely iconic artists in general, He is a big part of that sound as a producer. But I think because he has producer ears, he has songwriter ears, he's adjusting the role of the guitar in a lot of songs to be, alright, in this one, it mm. needs to be more just like a tambourine or shaker that has some notes. Or... Mm. This one it needs to be outlining the chords and the kind of bullseye Nile Rodgers thing that we think of. And I think what helps his sound and his approach is that he's kind of he's laid the blueprint in so many of those ways. Okay, if you want that sort of rhythm guitar, you have the stuff with the chucks. Without the chucks Do you want single note of that thing? Or do you want chord comping? Do you want more notes? Or more chucks? Do you want it to be an instrumental hook? Or do you want it just to be something that kind of sits in the background in the rhythm? between everything that he's played on and everything that Quincy has produced, that to me really helped define so many different realms that the rhythm guitar can fit in. And we're not even talking about rock and roll. We're not talking about the rhythm in jazz or
1: blues.
2: You don't think of rhythm guitar in a a lot of it, but if you look. one shot one opportunity you know that that is an iconic guitar part it's an iconic rhythm guitar part yeah. but you know you don't necessarily associate the guitar sure. with Eminem.
1: or like the the beginning of uh, miley cyrus's party in the usa perhaps
2: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know that sort of thing even just the choicing the choosing of how many notes to put in the voicing it's yeah. it stems from the nile lineage
1: Gosh, right now, I mean, I hear the chucks now after talking to you. I'm like, that's all I'm going to think about from now on is what? Oh, is this Minneapolis guitar? Is this Philly guitar? Is there, are there chucks? Is it bubble? This is, this is really fun. Corey Wong, breaking down the intricacies of rhythm guitar with you is more fun than anyone should have on Tuesday (laughs) afternoon, but. Let's take uh, a type five. And when we come back, I want to dig into another aspect of your musical career. It's as the host and band leader of the new variety show, Corey, and the Wong Notes, uh, I want to hear about stepping out from the rhythm guitar shadows into the bright lights of, of the big stage.
0: See you in a minute. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for...
1: If you go online and look for Corey Wong and the Wong Notes, you will be treated to ten episodes of musical brilliance, comedic chops, and wonderful conversations with insights into being a great musician and, and uh, if I may say so, being a, a good human.
2: Oh, oh, the one. oh what's up, internet? I'm Corey, and these are the Wong Notes. This is Corey and the Wong Notes.
1: Corey, where did this come from? What what led you to think, like, okay, I need to revive the 1960s variety show (laughs) for the modern era, and in doing so, comment on, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a musician in the 21st century? Like, break it down for us.
2: I've been fascinated by late-night TV and just talk shows, variety shows in general. As a kid, I loved The Muppets. As a kid, I loved watching Letterman's Top Ten, or <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of these old variety shows, these late night shows that have bands. I thought, well, I love the. Mu- I mean, obviously I'm a musician. I feel like I want a little more attention on the band. So I th- yeah. I've always thought it'd be fun to have a show where it's like a late show meets SNL if the musicians took over. <laughs> And finally, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was like, all right, I'm going to see if I can bring this thing to life. What would actually go into it? So I started scripting ideas for the show flow, ideas for sketches, themes of shows, and just how to slip music in there and keep musical themes happening. And found a team of people to help me kind of formulate those thoughts and scripts together. And just went for it. And just said, all right, screw it. I'm going to do it in coordination with my album. Because my last several albums, what I've done is I go in the studio and I make the album and we'd film it on a phone and, you know, that's fun. And that's kind of helps point people to the album, get people interested in it, see how we do our process. But I thought, what if this time around it was much higher production but it's also just like a it's, a, it's a vehicle to promote my album that I make. Because in the end, for me, music is the number one thing that I do. So hmm. I thought it was a fun way to tie into the album. And, you know, it's just a big part of my album budget, my album release strategy, whatever. All the things that you need to think about when you're making your own albums as an independent artist. And I just thought to myself, screw it. Let's do it. <laughs> I have the, I, I really want to do it and i have people around that i know can help me make it happen so i'm going to make it happen i wanted to have a large band 11 piece band plus guests on most episodes and a pretty tight crew like you know a few people for audio and a few people for video and then a couple extra hands here and there but you know that's still a, a, a large operation for an independent artist
1: yeah
2: but for me, it's an investment into my career, and more than anything, it's just me finding ways to keep my my creative flower blooming.
1: I appreciate your humility, but I think it's something that not a lot of musicians could pull off. I mean, episode four features the saxophonist Grace Kelly, and it starts with uh, a sketch. and every And every sketch in the show is not it's not it's it's comedy, but it's like it's this specific genre of like taking some aspect of of the musician's life or like the uh or or how we appreciate music and just like putting a little funny microscope on it so this is a conversation an argument between a family uh that breaks down along each each one of them being obsessed with a different genre of music and almost coming to fisticuffs over it
2: ska Corey. I'm telling you this as a guest. We don't say that word in my home. Again, you confuse third wave ska punk with classic two-tone bands like the Specials, which you'd know if you ever talked to your wife! i like a message to you, Rudy.
1: Stay out of this! And then you go into a performance of a track from your album, Tiki Hut, Strut, with this killer 11-piece band, full horn section. It's just, it's, it's lights out. And then an interview with, with Grace Kelly. I mean, it's like, this is, this is a, this is a big production, Corey. This is uh, yeah. this is ambitious.
2: It's my most ambitious project that I've done. And a lot of people just ask me like, how do you do this? Like, yeah, how do you, I mean, honestly, the, the number one question that I get asked is like, how are you affording this? <laughs> because, you know, I think what's interesting is that, you know, and I'll speak candidly here. Um, sure. Not that I haven't throughout this entire interview, but it, it seems like, you know, in the general eye, in the general public's eye, you're either a starving artist or you are this like multimillionaire <laughs> or whatever. And people don't right. allow for there to be a middle ground. Yeah, And, you know, for me, I live a pretty simple lifestyle. Like I have a 2008 Toyota Sienna minivan <laughs> where the 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 mirror is kind of at right now being du- it's duct taped to the <laughs> you know. My my mortgage is like $1200, you know. Yeah. And I live well under my means. So I do that because I want to invest in the art that I create and instead of, you know, like most people when they start to have a successful career, rightfully so, they start buying nicer things or start living a little more of an extravagant lifestyle. And that's totally fine, that's great. But I think for me, what I felt more comfortable doing is just putting any of my wins back into Mm -hmm. my art and into the things that, to me, feel more fulfilling. You know, like, it'd be great to buy a new car, but I don't think yeah. that's going to really fulfill me. What's going to be more fulfilling is making a project that will live on and that I can feel like I really was able to execute a creative vision, no matter what the success level of it is. So I don't know. T- to me, yeah, not-, not everybody can pull it off. But I, don't- I think also not a lot of people have the discipline to pull it off both on the side of logistics, and just on the side of like, all right, this is really what it's going to take to do this, and here's all the people we need to coordinate, here's all the things that go into it. But also, a lot of the people that I work with are really close friends of mine, and they understand where I'm at, and they're not charging me, you know, their, their insane full day rates for everything you know like sure. when you work with your like some of my friends they'll ask me to play on something it's like i don't know yeah we're we're friends i'll just whatever yeah Pay, whatever your budget is i'm fine and some of my of course so, you have to you have to honor and respect people's time and people's artistry and all that sort of stuff so yeah i think i don't know i'm rambling on that but i think you know that's that's a side of the music industry that some people just are uncomfortable talking about they're uncomfortable talking about the business yeah. side or the money side and i think it's important to talk about it, especially because so many people now are independent artists, how else are you going to learn unless other people are yeah. willing to talk about it?
1: I appreciate you sharing that you know I hope it's going to encourage other musicians to think ab- about how they could think outside the box as well and, and bring their art off the record, so to speak, and into these new contexts. I also often fantasize about what would happen if Paul Schaefer like took over the lake show and that it kind of feels like yeah you're you're watching that
2: well and, and also transparently look dude. This is now my audition tape for that role. The next time they need somebody, hopefully my name's in the running. And do you want to know if I can pull it off or not? Well, see for yourself if you like what I do. If not, that's totally fine. But at least you'll know if I'm the right person. You'll you'll get a a pretty clear idea. If somebody's never been a band leader for this sort of thing, and they don't necessarily have an audition tape for it, you're jumping into a little more unknown. Now I'm just kind of letting you know. If you are a, So this heavy, is
1: good. This is good. We, you know, a lot of late night hosts listen to Switched on Pop religiously. So good. you've, you know, you're, I think you're definitely reaching the right audience.
2: Good. That's actually the only reason I agreed to do this. Yeah. I, yeah. I hate talking about <laughs> rhythm guitar. Clearly I'm only here to get a gig.
1: <laughs> Corey Wong. Thanks so much for joining us. Anything you want people to know about where to find your art before we go? I'm on all the platforms,
2: you know, it's Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube, wherever you consume your music. I'm there, most likely.
1: Corey, I I hope we can have you back at at some point in time. This uh, is really great. To check in on the evolution of of rhythm guitar. Until then, uh, we wish you all the best.
2: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
1: Switched on Pop is produced by Nate Sloan, Bridget Armstrong, and me, Charlie Harding. We're engineered by Brandon McFarland. Illustrations by Iris Gottlieb and social media by Abby Barr. Our executive producers are Natasha Kroa and Hannah Rosen. We're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. You can catch us at Switched on Pop on Twitter and Instagram, where we like to post all kinds of research and extra tidbits from the episode. So follow us there. And we'll be back again next week with a deep dive into some more retro music. Until then, thanks for listening.